the on-location model of pulling someone to work eight hours straight is so inefficient. What is really efficient is that you pocket your work in an asynchronous way. So you know when are you going to do certain tasks, you fully focus on them. That is more efficient for you and your team. That is the key here. There's another kind of black swan event out there. It is a net positive for society and remote working globally. You've earned it. You do great work. We trust you. You can work from home. You need to be flexible because you need to be ready to capitalize on it. Technology infrastructure is paramount for success in a distributed team. You're reachable and you're doing your work. That's all that you need to do. Welcome to a special edition of the Talent Economy Podcast, Top Tal's Rise of Remote series. I'm your host, Paul Estes. We're in a time of unprecedented change on a global scale. In many ways, it feels like we blinked and suddenly the future of work is now. The remote work trend has accelerated 10 years in just the past few weeks. Over the next few episodes, I'm going to interview key leaders at TopTal to get a behind-the-scenes look at how the world's largest fully distributed organization can help guide companies through these challenging times. I am Ismael Peinado. I'm the CEO of TopTal, and I'm the leader of the whole engineering team for TopTal. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you today because a lot of people are trying to understand how this impacts their engineering teams. And from my experience coming from big tech, engineers fall in one camp or the other. They either believe that on-site engineering along with their program manager and their design is the only way to get it done, or they believe that remote is the only way to get it done. And you've changed or transformed over time. Tell me about your point of view in your previous career before TopTal. In the past, I I was uh, actually an an advocate for on-location I was even strongly against uh, remote work. And that was due to the fact that, yeah, I work with large teams on location and you have this sense of control, meaning that you will not see them either going into Facebook or not doing their job. But also you get the feeling that by everyone being together in, in a building, you can really foster the culture in an easier way. But I think overall was most not knowing. So I always had the idea that remote work is this thing that you are at home and you are doing whatever and no one can control you. But definitely my opinion on that uh, has changed massively, especially since I jumped up top. The thing that I've, in my experience, have learned from engineering leaders is that they're very principled. (laughs) You know, getting an engineer to change their mind from a core principle that they believe in is, is a big deal. When did you start to realize that remote and distributed teams weren't this scary thing, but maybe an opportunity? In my case, I had kind of a, a transition period. So I moved uh, to working in, in co-location with 400 engineers into a company that was kind of the intermediate step within on-location and top down, which is a company that worked remotely, but they were not really as well structured as top down is. So I started to work there and I realized this cannot be it, right? And it, it almost confirmed some of my fears about remote work. And I call them fears because, yes, I'm, a, I'm an engineer and I think binary, as you said. <laughs> but I realized there were some substantial problems. First was the lack of culture and not because of anything special, just by the fact that some companies, they choose to move into a remote working environment, but they just keep the same culture, the same principle, the same processes. And I realized that was the initial problem. And this is where I started to try to fix it. 
say, so, hey, okay, how can we have first a culture that fits the remote working environment? And second, how can we manage the problem of people not performing as well? And that was a rather large problem there. So they started to think there must be a solution. Now, when I joined Toptal, fortunately, Toptal had the solution. Basically, it's kind of two main pillars. It's one is culture, having a strong culture, which fosters the remote working environment with accountability and ownership. But secondly, it has to have a framework where working from home is not just a nine to five job. It's something else. So there, when I joined Toptal, I realized, ha, huh, these people realize this. And this is a whole different thing. It's not only equivalent to on location, it's a lot more efficient. And of course, as you know, it's beautiful for work-life balance. I think Amazon also does a good job of outlining, hey, this is our culture and this is how we work. They write it down and they say, if you want to subscribe to this, we're going to be transparent and let you know what this culture is. And the second point is flexibility. I think people think when you go to work on a location, it's nine to five or and then maybe you work at night. Here, you have a lot of flexibility, which actually lends itself to being more productive and having better work-life balance. Has that been your experience? Yes, but in Toptal, it's even, even further than that. Because the, the term flexibility, yes, is when you're working from home, it's, it's nice and beautiful. But we even take it further. Because when you think about working from home, one of the main concerns from an outsider is how can you ensure a person is working really eight hours, right? You have, have in mind these eight hours kind of, you need to work this time. And now in, when you think about it, that model, the on-location model of putting someone to work eight hours straight is so inefficient. What is really efficient is that you pocket your work in an asynchronous way. So you know when are you going to do certain tasks, you fully focus on them, and then you move on, whether it's with personal tasks or still with work, but you pocket the task, you organize your day as you see fit, that is more efficient for you and your team. That is the key here, which is when you close someone to work in a specific period of time, it doesn't matter if it is eight hours, but you say, okay, you need to work straight eight hours. Now you need to change your process to fit uh, or to give as much work as possible to this person during this period of time, which, as you know, is sometimes a utopia. It's not even possible sometimes. So you have some inefficiency there. Whereas in the remote environment, you have this asynchronous model that you, you send the work there, they work asynchronously, and it's a lot more efficient. And of course, give you so much flexibility that you can deal with tasks and not just sitting in a desk. Let's move into what's going on around the world today. Over the past, say, five or six weeks, things have dramatically changed around the world in, in regards to how work gets done. How would you describe this current moment in time as it relates to broader remote work? It's a very interesting time. One of the things that I was discussing with some of, some of my colleagues is that it's kind of interesting that in the middle of a health crisis worldwide like this, all of a sudden companies, they are being forced because of, of the situation into using the actual most efficient way to work. So they are realizing, and it's kind of ironic that by being forced 
by uh, some extraordinary circumstances, they are now realizing, wow, we are missing something which is a lot more efficient that makes people happier. So it's kind of a very interesting time. And here, even where, I, where I'm living right now in Bulgaria, it's even more interesting because the majority of companies here, they were against uh, remote work. And now talking with, with companies like HP and, and, and large companies, they realize, wow, there is some value to this. But interesting that it didn't come from them. It, it, they were kind of put in a situation that is the only choice. But yeah, you can consider that kind of the positive outcomes of the situation. It's really interesting talking to an engineer because there's irony in the fact that engineering teams that believe in location-based work are now just finding the most efficient way, which may be remote. And many engineering leaders wake up every day and try to find a way to efficiently produce code and outcomes and value. One of the things that's important for any leader is to attract the world's best talent. And and when you look at every company becoming a technology company, engineers or software engineers are more in demand than ever. When you're recruiting top talent, like the best of the best, how important is it that you offer a flexible work environment versus competing with people who have on location? What are you hearing from the actual freelance experts in the market? That's a very interesting topic and, and something that we discuss quite often. So just by the fact of mentioning remote work without going into details of what this means in total, that's a, it's a huge selling point. Everyone or a listener in engineering scene is looking for that because you as an engineer, you know that what is the best, more efficient way of your work. Most of them realize this already. So the moment you, you say, yeah, this is a full remote work, that's a massive selling point. And you have to think that in the past, most of engineers were quite young when, when we're talking now, several years ago. It was kind of a, a new thing. Now, most of the senior engineers are starting to look into having kids, forming a family. So they start to see, wow, being at home or having the possibility of doing my job while supporting my family is a massive thing. Now, add on top of that, the way that we work in TopTal, which is fully asynchronous, a lot more flexibility, and something which is super interesting for engineers, which is you use the most of your time. You're super efficient. So you get the feeling that your time is used efficiently, that you're not just sitting in a desk for the sake of it. That is very powerful. Because you're not carrying the capex of an office, you're able to invest in different things that also help boost that efficiency where you think you may be losing it because you've worked remote. Now, help me understand the tools that you use with your team and how those may have changed or differed from the tools that you used on a location environment. There is some major changes, um, especially in the communication side. And this is something that we put a lot of effort when onboarding uh, new people, because one of the things which makes a huge difference uh, when you are on a remote environment is how you communicate and how often you communicate. So all tools have two kind of different branches. One, they're focused in smooth communication and asynchronous communication. So we use tools like Slack or Zoom, Slack for asynchronous and Zoom for synchronous communication. But also one of the important points uh, around communication is that you need to think that when you communicate with others in real life, in face-to-face, 
you have the chance to see their face, you have the chance to react, you have the chance to correct depending on the reactions. That is different in a remote environment. You need to consider when you communicate, what you say has to be more clear, has to be not so open for interpretation sometimes. So we put a lot of focus on that part of the culture around communication. So our tools are both moving in the direction of communication, but we have other part of the tools, which has also support not only the communication side, but the autonomy side, which goes side by side with the, with the fact that we are asynchronous. So we need to allow, basically, engineers to be as autonomous as possible so they don't have dependencies in other teams. So yeah, our tools are mainly divided into those two, into autonomy and communication. I think it's interesting that a lot of companies, the current conversation is around the technology you need. And so a lot of companies are now scrambling to stand up tools like asynchronous communication or shore up their video communication strategy. But you you brought up a really interesting point. When people move into that environment, we all have to relearn how to communicate, right? When you go, and I think you said this earlier, when you go from that culture, you can't just go, hey, we used to work in an office and now we work remotely and everything's going to stay the same, there's changes. Other than retraining people how to communicate, let's talk about creating culture. You talked about TopTal having a very strong culture. What are the things that you do as an engineering leader to help foster and support the culture with a fully distributed team? So culture is one of the issues that you might find in in many companies around culture is that some consider culture like a separate topic, like a topic that they can isolate and drive, mostly because they consider that kind of a, a thing that they can teach or they can, they can show. I usually look at culture more like from an education point of view. I will compare it literally to what education is. So for me and, and, and for TopTal, culture is kind of the edu- education is becoming a, a functional member of society. For Total, is a functional member of a remote working environment. But how to foster that is just by not considering that culture is an isolated topic, is by integrating culture in your framework. For example, in engineering, culture is embedded in our uh, engineering framework, how you behave, how you communicate, how you interact with others. So that is part of the framework. So when we have, for example, we talk about, about communication, we cover part of the cultural attributes that we have in TopTal, but they're actually embedded in our day-to-day process. So that is a much, I would say, much better way. Of course, it's subjective, but it's a better approach uh, to culture than rather you set up a set of objectives and how do we behave. So in our case, that's why I said it's a strong culture because it's embedded to the roots of how we work, but it's equally extremely important for TopTal. And sometimes we do this comparison that when we are hiring, uh, we're a little bit like NASA, which in which we look at the behavioral part of candidates. How are they going to work with us? How are they going to behave in this environment? Even equally than the, the actual skills. So then we have a culture interview specific. So that give you an idea how, how serious we take that. Give me an example where someone came into the organization, maybe an engineer, 
and had to be acclimated to the culture and, and how the work that you did as a leader helped shape and transform that person into a highly productive member of the team. One of the main things that we found all the time and that luckily our framework can help with it is, for example, in terms of communication, that's a very common issue that you, you get people that they come from an environment in which they are given tasks, they perform tasks, they deliver, and that's, that's about it. So, and even in some cultures, there's cultures that are more introvert, there are cultures that are more extrovert. So we sometimes receive that, or we have this kind of, uh, of people, and our framework is helping them, for example, in, in how to communicate and when to communicate, right? We call it kind of the visibility part, which is you are working on something, you go into your specific channel, you let them know. And the difficulty here is that if you put this in a context, in a own location, it makes no sense because you are not going to go to your guy next, which is working next to you and say, hey, I'm working on this task, right? It doesn't look right. But in a remote working environment, it's extremely important because you don't have these water cooler opportunities. You are distributed, you work in different time zones. So it's very important, the visibility part, being communicative, speaking to others. So we have these cases in which people come and they have this kind of cultural attribute uh, lacking, but we have an onboarding process where we show them how we do it and what is the actual process, what are the actual benefits of that communication, the why we do it. And usually within two, three weeks, they click, they say immediately, wow, I see the value of this. So that's how we do it. We have a specific onboarding process around that. And that's how we foster the culture from the get-go. Now, one of the parts of culture or just team dynamics in general is the ability to connect and have some fun. Those moments that happen at the water cooler or at a happy hour or, you know, things that, that are just natural in a location environment. How do you incorporate those connections and that fun in a team that's all around the world that I imagine still want some of that social aspect and, and feeling of belonging to a team? That's actually is extremely important because um, there is two sides of it. One is the, the actual collaboration part that you need to establish collaboration, not only within your team, also with other teams. That's extremely important because of knowledge sharing and, and so on. But the social aspect is extremely important. And we have multiple initiatives around that. For example, within the team, we, we, can, we do pair programming and we, we will share documentation, which is fine. But the cool stuff comes when we start doing some cross-team collaboration. In terms of cross-team collaboration, one of the things that we do in TopTal is we create what we call task forces, which is we bring or we invite people from different teams and they get to focus for a short period of time in a specific initiative. And that is great because they get to know each other. They are different all the time, but they focus on something with a lot of value for the company. But we also create what we call hackathons, which is entire teams. They get to get together, like two, three teams. And they, again, they focus on research of a specific topic. And this kind of establishes kind of this great bonding within teams and within individuals. But we don't look at this kind of a user good to have, but this is for us, it's critical because it's the way 
how you can have these kind of fun times where people get to know each other. They talk about different stuff. They help each other. They learn from each other, which is fantastic. So we do multiple stuff. And also we allow, we let teams decide, for example, some of them decide that they want to have remote water cooler sessions with other teams. So they get together and they speak about different topics. So they don't really develop or they research. They just sit and, and speak about technical topics or, or important, interesting topics for them. So yeah, we foster that massively because it, it gets this kind of a strong bonding within the persons in the team and the different teams. The examples you talked about were people finding projects around the work and still having fun. And, and what I realized is that when you get a team of high-performing experts, finding projects that are outside of your core responsibilities is a fun way to bond versus some of the forced family fun of trying to create social events. And so I, I imagine that's a good strategy for high-performing engineers. Oh, absolutely. And, and they love it. When you think about it, you're right on the money there because in total, we hire the best of the best. So it's, everyone is highly skilled people. They want to get challenged. They want to develop their skills. So we put a lot of effort on this because we look for not only topics outside their work, but topics that they have a huge impact for TopTal. So they love it and they get challenged. They learn from each other. So you are right there, which is when you deal with high-skilled people, you need to look a little bit beyond what is, what is just pure socializing. It has to be socializing and at the same time, challenging. One of the things that I've noticed, at least in my transition from location-based work to working full, with a fully distributed team, is the work-life balance, the switch that tells me, hey, I'm at the office or hey, I'm at home, no longer exists. And I imagine for engineers who live in the zone and, and can get really focused on a specific problem or, or some coding, that could be challenging when they are now working from home. How do you coach people who are trying to figure out how to create that balance between getting their work done and also you know, living a life, whether it's family or hobbies or, or any of those things that they may need to recharge? It's a little bit more complex. We, we account for this as part of our framework. And we need to look at it from a different point of view. Is You need to provide a framework strong enough so you can allow people to organize their work in the best, more efficient way. And sometimes I get this question, like, well, how can you avoid people going or being workaholics or keeping on work uh, until late hours of the night? It's actually the framework in, in which this asynchronous way of working and having different time zones is done in a way in which you are almost, I would say, forced, but put in a position in which you really need to pocket your work. So you need to choose, okay, I'm going to work for two hours this morning because I need to finalize A, B, and C. But that focus time, that focus work is what is critical and so important on the framework. Now, by doing that and by allowing the accountability and the ownership of the entire team and the entire initiative, you start to see how people really organize their time more efficiently. And that's the key of it, is that you use the time extremely efficient. And by doing that, you really can pick up 
how to organize your work. Yes, it's true that sometimes you have people that they take it the extra mile, right? That they want to uh, go the extra mile and they want to show that they care. So for that, we have kind of uh, our career map in which we have all the roles within the organization, which have kind of different responsibilities, a way, a different way to organize their work. So everything is kind of part of the framework and that's how we use it, how that we recognize behaviors in terms of people that they want to go the extra mile. So we have the special spots for those. But in general, it all goes back to the asynchronous framework is that work is pocketed in a way in which it's the most efficient for you and your team. I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been interesting to watch the beginning of the conversation where you really talked about your time in a location-based business and used words like control and verify. And you're ending the conversation with words like autonomy and trust and empowerment. And for me, that's kind of the core of the transition that leaders need to make as they adapt to this new way of work. It, it has a lot to do with how the managers and leaders and executives think about their teams equally as much as the efficiency of the work and the objectives that need to be done. Do you feel that you've changed as a leader having made this transition? Yes, absolutely. And I can give you an example on how, which I usually do as on my coaching sessions, which we also put a lot of effort. And one of them is that how I see this kind of empowerment or uh, ownership and accountability framework is that I see now more like in, you will see the education of your kids in real life, in which when you start at a young age, you need to provide them with clear direction. You need to tell them how to do things. But as they grow, you need to start moving more into guidance and telling them, okay, these are the options for you. And you need to tell them what are the best options and what are the most effective options, but let them take a decision. But there is a point that, and maybe you, you can relate to this, that when we be, they become teenagers, there is a, a moment that you need to let go. And this is where most companies kind of struggle because, yeah, at that point of providing full autonomy is tricky because you can do that. You have to do that, but you need to do it in a way so-called like in a controlled environment, meaning providing a framework in which, although they are making their own decisions, they do it in a way that if they fail or they commit a, a mistake, it's not major or it's kind of, kind of within the framework. And that's the important part. That's what I changed as a leader, which I get to understand that providing autonomy requires you having a framework behind that that accounts for potential mistakes, potential issues, and you have monitoring in place. And I use the analogy sometimes on how would you teach your kids to cross the road, right? There is a moment that you need to handhold and tell them, okay, you come with me. But at one point you need to let go. You need to tell them they are going to cross by themselves. So you need to have a framework behind that, that they understand the consequences of crossing the road and not looking, right? So that's kind of the key that you need to have that framework in place so they cross the road, understanding the consequences, so they are more careful or they pay attention when they shoot and not just the concept of crossing the road. And it also, in many ways, just becomes second nature. You know, you, you've gained the skills and you've gained all of the trust that came with it that now 
crossing the road or working in this way just becomes natural. It's no longer a conversation about failure being bad. It's, hey, this the framework allows for you to make mistakes and it'll catch you and it'll teach you and, and we'll move on. If we look 18 months out from now to some of the organizations that you mentioned, you know, colleagues that you've been talking to that work at enterprise companies or mid-sized small companies, what has changed? What is the new normal? I, I believe it's kind of the realization that working from home or working remote is just not a, it's just not a plus or a benefit. I think they are starting to realize that this is the way to go. And there is no way back. It's so much efficient. It's what people are looking for. It's almost something that is going to be a demand before joining any, any work in the future. So you start to see that realization coming into place. There is still a component that although some companies are coming to this realization, they still need to get into that the culture needs to change. And that's something that still I would like to see within the next one, two years, that they realize that there is not only the fact that the remote work is the future and it's probably overtake any own location, uh, especially in engineering in the future, but also that culture needs to change. You need to make it in a way which not only is efficient and not only is better for work-life balance, that is extremely the best way to work the best way uh, for the company, the most efficient way. So that is the only part that I still see that needs some uh, some work. But still, the realization at least is something that I have seen over the last few months. We're moving in the right direction. This advice that you've provided is more powerful because it's coming from someone, you know, a senior engineer who spent most of his career believing that remote work wasn't the most efficient and, and the best option. So it's it's been a very interesting conversation to watch your journey. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, maybe there's another senior engineering leader or CTO out there that says, hey, this was interesting, but I want to reach out and learn a little bit more. What is the best way to get in touch with you? You can find me in LinkedIn. That's the best way we can start the conversations uh, there. And usually LinkedIn because it's also a social platform for, for professionals is the best way. You simply because usually our external communication, which is email, is not so much used in our remote environment. We're just <laughs> speaking to Slack all the time. So I will advise using LinkedIn. You're saying you could send me an email, but the chances of me checking it is like me checking a voicemail. It's outdated technology already. <laughs> well, hey, thank you so much for taking the time. We'll put all the information in the notes and best of luck in, in driving your team and continuing to advocate for this way of work. Thank you. I'm your host, Paul Estes. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the podcast, TopTal's Rise of Remote. To hear more insights from TopTal executives on what it takes to lead the world's largest distributed company, head to toptal.com slash insights. To check out the playbook, as well as other articles that will help provide guidance during this time of unprecedented change. <laughs>